How's everybody doing? I do good until that saxophone comes in, and then I just start to kind of melt inside a little bit. Uh, hey, glad you guys are here. If you're new to the church, um, we've been working through a book of the Bible uh, called First Timothy. It's a, it's a letter from a, a guy named Paul to a guy named Timothy, who's kind of his protege. And um, we're finishing up First Timothy this week, which is in the New Testament. We're in chapter 6 this week. I, I got a text from a, a very prominent woman in our community this last week, and she said, hey, I'm praying for you. This is kind of a controversial chapter. And I'm like, they've all been controversial chapters. <laughs> this book of the Bible has been really, really hard. It's a short book of the Bible, but boy, it just kind of hits all of us in the gut a little bit. It's, uh, it's a pretty tough book to teach, not because it's hard to understand, but because it kind of, it, it really does hit you in the gut. Uh, if you weren't here last week, Isaac did a phenomenal job with chapter five, did an absolutely great job. And uh, it's a tough chapter, it's not an easy chapter, but what he did, and he did a very good job with it, is he pulled out this very simple principle that the church is supposed to be a family. And we often say, this is our church family, or that's my church family, and, but we don't always live like we're family. You know, sometimes there's young men or young women that look at each other, not like brothers and sisters, but in ways that are inappropriate and think things that are inappropriate and we don't treat the elderly or you know, people older than us with respect like we should our mother and our father. And sometimes we don't always act like family. So I think it was really interesting that he taught this point that we are to be a family, even more importantly than our flesh and blood family is our church family, our spiritual family. This is our eternal family, right? That's a big deal. So um, after saying that, I want to kind of preface this week with this. Uh, we're going to talk about the fact that we need to take our faith seriously. Again, a very simple principle. But I'm going to talk to you like a brother today. I'm going to talk to you like a family member. And sometimes family members need to be a little blunt with each other. I think it was Oscar Wilde once wrote that a good friend will stab you in the front, right? So I'm going to do that today, uh, metaphorically speaking, right? Um, so that's what we should do. If we love each other, we should be able to shoot each other straight and talk and bring up some hard stuff. And, and so we're gonna talk like family today. And if you're new here, this is what we do. And if you're not into the whole going deep with people, then maybe this isn't the best place for you to hang out. But uh, we're gonna act like family, we're gonna live like family, we're gonna talk to each other like family. And so we're gonna do a little bit today. And we're gonna talk about the fact that our faith is bigger than just this thing we do on the weekends, right? It's bigger than our bumper sticker or tattoo or whatever the case may be, it's bigger than that. It's a pretty serious deal. And we'll see at the end of this very short letter from Paul to Timothy that he's saying to Timothy, man, take this serious. This is a big deal, okay? So that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit today. So you should've got a notes handout when you walked in either of the doors. They should've given you a, a fancy notes handout. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, you can download that for free. Click on service at the bottom, and then sermon notes, and all the notes are there in the scripture. If you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament, and uh, we're in the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, we'll roll out of this this weekend. We'll roll right, in, right into 2 Timothy and then get into the book of Ecclesiastes because I'm a glutton for punishment, you know? So uh, we're gonna go into just more hard, controversial books and uh, we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? So I'm gonna pray. We should have everything set. Everything will be on the screen around you if you don't have a, a Bible or notes handouts or any of that. Everything should be up there for you to see. And um, we'll see where the Lord takes us today, okay? All right? Lord Jesus, God, uh, I love you. Lord, I love this church. I pray for this church, God. I pray, Lord, that you sharpen us, Lord, that we can uh, edify each other and hold each other accountable and love each other well, Lord, and that you'll bless us, God. 
Lord, we pray not just for this church, Lord, we pray for every church in our community, all the pastors in our communities and church teams, God, that you'll grow those churches and bless those churches as well. Lord, we pray for the churches we work with up in New England. We pray for the churches we work with overseas. We pray for our wonderful nonprofits, Lord, especially uh, FCA that we're working with this month, God, that you bless Shell and the other people that she works with, God, and, and that we can get into those schools and middle schools and, and uh, teach the gospel, Lord, to athletes and, and people in the, in the schools, Lord. We thank you for that opportunity. Father, I just pray that you keep your hand on me today, God. I pray that everything that comes out of my mouth is, is truth, first and foremost, but I pray that I deliver it in a way... Uh, that is loving and, and compassionate. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, chapter six, I'm gonna read a little bit. This is from Paul to Timothy, and I'll go back and break it down to the best of my abilities, okay? Here we go. All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they're brothers, but serve them even better since those who benefit from their services are believers and dearly loved. Now, if you have any friends that aren't Christians, which I hope you do, if you have any non-Christian friends, they may sometimes bring up, if they're into these kind of you know, digging in and, and kind of debating some stuff, they may bring up that the Bible condones slavery. And that is not true. Now, there is mention of slavery in the Bible, but it does not condone it. What Paul is telling Timothy right here is he's trying to paint the picture that spiritual liberation is more important than social liberation. That the liberation of the soul is more important than the liberation of the body. Here's the thing that we get wrong in Christianity a lot. We think that just by passing legislation and making rules that it will make society better, and that is not true. The goal of the church and the goal of Christianity is not legislation and politics. The goal of the church and the goal of Christianity is to change the hearts of mankind. And when we change the hearts of mankind, politics will follow. Better politicians will be in office. So it's not just about passing laws about what, right, what is right and wrong. It's letting Jesus Christ touch the hearts of people and he will show them what is right or wrong and society will follow. We sometimes get the cart before the horse in Christianity, okay? Our goal is heart change, soul change, not just legislation and political change that will follow, okay? So this applied to slaves and it applied to slave owners. Now slavery was a normal part of culture when this letter was written. That doesn't make it right, that's not what Paul's saying but it was a part of culture. And so Paul is telling slaves to respect their masters because if they don't, it dishonors God. In Romans chapter 13, it says this, that we're to honor whatever authority is above us. Well, what if that authority is not managed well? It's not what the Bible says. We're to honor it regardless. And in Paul's time, it was a guy named Nero, right? who lit his own empire on fire. He was bat crap crazy. And Paul said, that's how Christians don't swear. Then that's how <laughs> Paul even said that we're to honor all authority. Now that doesn't mean that we have to sit idly by as social injustices happen. We can engage in that and we can fight for social justice, but we have to do it in a way that has integrity and that honors God. A good example is a man named Martin Luther King Jr., right? A pastor, a man of God who went and fought social injustices, but he did it in a way that honored the Lord. That's what we're called to do. 
Now, a weird dynamic to this slave and slave owner thing is what if a slave owner becomes a Christian? Now, that's kind of a weird dynamic, isn't it? What it shows us in this chapter are there were slave owners that had become Christians. But what we see is the action and culture of society doesn't always immediately catch up to the heart change that has happened in people's lives. What that means is this. Let's say today, for instance, uh, you have certain habits. Let's say uh, you're addicted to smoking cigarettes, right? So you come in here today, you give your life to Jesus Christ, you genuinely give your life, right? And by the way, I used to be a -a two-pack-a-dayer. You give your life to Christ, you're not gonna be able, unless God delivers you of it, you're not gonna be able to just instantly walk out and everything be 100% perfect, right? Lungs are perfectly clear, no desire for cigarettes. That may not be the case. But what happens over time, after you're justified, your salvation, right? You're made just in front of God. Eventually, as we have a relationship with God, we become sanctified, which throughout our daily life, we set aside more things in order to honor God and get closer to him, right? And that comes through discipleship. It comes over time, right? So our life starts to catch up. Our actions start to catch up with what has taken place in our heart. That's what happens, right? That's why when you get baptized, that's not the end. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, that's not the end, that's the beginning. That's the launching pad, that's where it starts. Now we start to gravitate and evolve more into what Jesus wants us to be. Now the other beautiful thing about Christianity and about Jesus Christ is it's interesting here. Paul says that slave owners who are believers and slaves are brothers, they are equals. Maybe not in the earthly way at looking at equals, but to God, God is the great equalizer of mankind. He is the great leveler. That's what the cross does. So it doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or if you're homeless. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus sees you equally. Doesn't matter if you're a slave owner or a slave, you are equal, right? So Paul told Timothy that saved slaves need to serve their saved masters, even though they're brothers. They need to serve them well because it honors God, even if they're never set free, right? Even if they never go free. So salvation makes us all equal, equal, regardless of money, regardless of roles, regardless of economics or social status. We are all one in Jesus Christ, okay? Next part. Paul says, teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, For we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food or clothing, we will be content with these things. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, Some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, here's the thing. If you're a Christian in this room, 
It's not a question of if you're going to be challenged in your faith, but when you're going to be challenged. So Paul said to Timothy, it's not a question of if, but when this happens, you need to be able to stand up against false teaching. What is false teaching? This is easy. False teaching is anything that contradicts the words of Jesus Christ in this book and the authors of this book, the apostles of this book. So anything that contradicts the Holy Bible is a false teaching. Now, what you and I in this room have to do, if we consider ourselves Christians, and I know there's probably non-Christians in this room, but if you call yourself a Christian, we have to determine, we have to draw a line in the sand that says we will uphold and live by the, the, the words in this book regardless of the repercussions. We must live in a way that pleases God first. And when we choose to please God first, we will let down mankind. They will disagree with us in some ways. But if we follow the teachings of mankind, we will slip into very dangerous teaching, things antithetical to this book. So Paul not only identifies that there will be false teachers, he identifies the heart of these false teachers, why they do what they do. They teach false things because they think they're better than everyone else. They're elitists. They're arrogant. They have unhealthy interest in arguing. They're quarrelsome. They talk bad about people. They're slanderous. They have evil suspicions, disagreements. Why? Why does this happen? Because their minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. Just like if you only give your body sugar and carbohydrates and junk food, right? You may be ingesting things, but because you're not ingesting good things, the body breaks down. It doesn't function properly. Just like the mind and the soul, if we're only feeding it garbage, if we're only feeding it bad things, evil things, it doesn't function properly. It needs the truth. It needs direction. It needs guidance. But we deprive it of the truth, the mind, and so we start to live in evil ways. That's what's happening. In other words, what happens is this. Any teaching outside of the teaching of Christ becomes self-centered. It's about the individual. So people who practice and teach things antithetical to the Bible do it for personal gain on some level. Even different world religions that appear to be cute and cuddly and soft and nice on the outside, they do it for personal gain. Now, some of you are going to get offended by this but I just don't care right now. So even religions, world religions, like Buddhism, right? Well, I have Buddhist friends that are great. I have Buddhist friends that are nice people. But Buddhism is all about self-advancement. Buddhism is an atheistic religion. They don't even believe in a God. It is focused on self-enlightenment, self-beautification and betterment of myself so I can move through the wheel, right, of Dharma and get into something better, right? It's all about self-advancement. And so even teachings that look cute and cuddly are dangerous if they're not focused on Jesus Christ. They are self-serving. And every cult and almost every world religion is the exact same way. Now, when you compare that to Christianity, look at the, the focus of Christianity. Jesus Christ said, do good things. Do it in a way that people see the good things you do, but not so you can receive the glory, so all the glory can be deflected to our Father who is in heaven. The, the point of Christianity is not the advancement of myself. It is the advancement of the kingdom of God, someone else besides me. But what is fascinating, if we make God the focus, if God is the center of all the glory and honor, we are blessed. 
we become content. And the world, the world is so focused on self-advancement, material possessions, popularity, intoxication, sex with as many people and whomever we can, all these different things that we do, we're constantly pursuing ourselves. And what is fascinating is, the more we pursue ourselves, the more we are literally killing ourselves. It's not working. The more we pursue every avenue besides Jesus Christ, the more medicated we are for depression and anxiety, the more hopeless we become. All these things are skyrocketing, shooting out the roof. The reason why more people are smoking weed than they ever have and doing more drugs than they ever have and more inebriated than they've ever been is the pursuit of self is not working. And what is the missing component? I hope you know this. It's Jesus Christ. In the pursuit of everything else, we have missed the real savior of our souls. Jesus, we've missed it. And it's interesting to me, what we have chased has deceived us. It has fooled us. Paul says it's a trap. People are looking for all this material possession and getting a bigger house and driving a nicer car and having sex with a hotter chick or whatever the case may be. And it's deceiving, right? I love what culture does with marketing. We have wonderful marketing, right? Very, very crafty marketing in the United States. Go to this party and sleep with these people and drink this drink and smoke this thing and do all these things. And they paint this really like glorious picture of what it looks like. What they don't tell you is that leads to a lot of unwanted pregnancies. And it leads to sexually transmitted diseases. And it leads to women feeling like they're objectified and that they're garbage. And it leads to fatherless homes. And it leads to all of these ramifications that are breaking our society down. But that's what the devil does, right? It's this bait and switch thing. Hey, come enjoy this. But behind the curtain is something quite dark, something quite evil. And many of you have experienced that, right? You thought the porn and the sex and the money and the drugs and all that stuff would somehow fulfill you. And then you wound up in a ditch somewhere, right? You wound up with a broken family, a broken heart, right? You ended up with a lot of stuff that you didn't think you were going to get into. And so one of those main focuses has been money, right? And we misquote the scripture a lot. And we always say money is the root of all evil. Money is a piece of paper that you exchange for goods and services. There's nothing overtly evil about that, right? The evil is the fact that a lot of us love it. And you don't have to have money to be in love with money. There's a lot of us in this room that don't have money, but we love money. We would love to have more money. So there is this false narrative that people who have money are evil, and that's not necessarily the case. It's not wealth that is evil. It's the love of wealth that is evil, and that love of wealth has caused many griefs, and there's a lot of people in here who would love to be wealthy, but because of our envy, because of our jealousy, we're always looking at what other people have, and that's caused us a lot of grief, right? And Paul warns us of that. He says, but you, man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God who gives life to all, and of Jesus Christ, who he gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. I charge you, 
to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. So what Paul tells Timothy, this young man, is he says you gotta run away from evil things. You can't hang out around it. You gotta move away from it. Run away from evil things and get as close as you can to good things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. If I can be kind of a jerk this morning, the reason why so many of you keep falling to sin is you love to hang around it. Well, Corey, I don't know how I ended up drunk. You were at a bar, right? Corey, I don't know how I had an affair on my wife. You started taking that other woman at your office out to lunch all the time. Well, Corey, I don't know how, you know, me and my boyfriend keep sleeping together. I'm not sure what happens. You're watching the notebook at 2 a.m. at his apartment by yourself, right? You have to stay away from those things. The reason why so many of us fall to sin is we flirt with it all the time and you gotta move away. The wise Christian moves away from that, right? Instead of hanging out with your boyfriend in his apartment by yourself at 2 a.m., like, go somewhere in public where you'd get arrested if you had sex, right? Like, hang out at Steak and Shake at two o'clock in the morning. Hey, you, you can't do that, you know? Like, go to one of those places. Be wise about where you are. Flee from the bad things and try to hang out around the good things. But if we're gonna do that, we have to do it on purpose. To live a godly life, you have to do it intentionally. The only way to know the Bible more is to read the Bible. The only way to have a better relationship with Christ is to talk to him, to pray. The only way to have good community is you need to come to church. You need to go to good places and hang out with good people. Paul calls this fighting a good fight. Why does he call it fighting a good fight? Because being good is hard. Doing the right thing is difficult. It's like a fight, right? And we have a very worthy adversary, the devil. He's crafty, man, he's smart, he's powerful. And so we are fighting this fight against evil. And Paul says you need to fight a good fight, which means you do it on purpose. You have an enemy that's combating you. Listen, if it were easy and popular to be a Christian, everyone would be a Christian. But it's not easy to be a Christian. It's very difficult. It's hard to do the right thing. It's hard to have integrity in our lives all the time. But Paul tells Timothy, he says, hold on to this. Listen, you confessed in front of everyone that you're a Christian. You professed this. Guys, again, I'm gonna keep going down the jerk track here for a second. Do me and every other Christian who's trying really hard in here a favor. If you're gonna get the tattoo or put the bumper sticker on your car, God forbid, wear one of our church shirts. If you're gonna get baptized in front of a couple thousand people or whatever the case may be, if you're gonna do those things and go live like hell in my community, I'd rather you not call yourself a Christian because it's making it really hard for the rest of us. Those of us who are trying to be a good example of Christ, when we run around and say we're Christians but we're living like the devil, that's called hypocrisy, and it is the number one reason why people won't come to church. And I'd rather you not fight against us. It says in the Old Testament, choose this day who you serve. Either serve the world or serve Christ, but whichever one you do, you need to put your whole heart into it, right? If you're gonna wear that label, if you're gonna wear the shirt and put the bumper sticker on your car, you better live like it. 
Be prepared to represent Christ to the best of your abilities. And we're also to stand firm. Jesus had to stand firm. He could have gotten out of the crucifixion. Go back and read the story. Pontius Pilate, that was a Roman governor, he didn't want to crucify Jesus. Pilate's wife was begging Pilate, let this guy go, he's a good man, right? Pilate didn't want to do it. Jesus could have got out of the crucifixion, but he would have, he would have had to compromise what he came to do, and he refused to do it. Just like we are going to have to stand in adversity's face and not compromise what we believe. Here's where I really worry about a lot of us, and here's where I worry about Christianity in the South. If we cannot live for Jesus in a town that has big old mega churches, air conditioning, padded seats, a mayor that professes to follow Jesus, in a, in, a, in a nation that gives tax exemption to churches, if we cannot live as a dedicated Christian in this environment, there's no way in hell we're going to be able to live for Christ when times get tough. So if you can't lay down a foundation now, there's no way you're gonna be able to lay down a foundation later. If we can't live in the most blessed nation that has ever existed as followers of Jesus Christ, we're gonna be in deep trouble later. So you better draw a line in the sand now and you better be committed to it now. So Paul tells Timothy, he encourages him, right? He says, Timothy, remember God is sovereign. God is beyond us, he deserves honor. He lives in unapproachable light. And he says, in that unapproachable light, following Jesus, we have to live faultless, we have to live blameless. How in the world is that even possible? How can we live without fault or failure when we're following such a perfect God? The way that we are able to do that is God has given us grace, we can repent. We're to live a life of humility and repentance. I am really, really bothered with how few churches, pastors, and Christians talk about sin and repentance. Without acknowledging the cross and why Jesus got on the cross, without acknowledging that we sin and we need to repent for the sin, there is no salvation. That is at the bedrock of salvation is repentance of sin. It's the reason why Jesus got on a cross. So here's the thing, we're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna fall, we're gonna fail, we're gonna come up short. But the beauty of that is we can go right back to Jesus Christ and we can say, Father, forgive me. And he says, done, it's forgiven. Not only is it forgiven, this is how we can be blameless in front of Jesus. It says in the Old Testament that God throws our sin into the deep sea. It is as far from the east as from the west. It is forgotten, it is done. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it says that love keeps no record of wrongs. He is perfect love. So when we genuinely repent, that sin is gone. Jesus doesn't see it anymore. We are faultless, we are blameless, right? That's how we do it. It's a picture of my summer house there. <laughs> Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold, I love this, of what is truly life. Like I said before, just because one is rich doesn't mean they're evil. We have some multimillionaires that come to this church 
If it weren't for a rich guy named Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus wouldn't have had a place to be buried. Thank God for that rich, influential man. But the Bible does say that when we have a lot of wealth, it makes it more difficult to follow him. Jesus even said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. It's tough because when we have everything, we don't really depend on God for things. But Timothy is told to instruct wealthy Christians, don't be arrogant. Nothing wrong with being wealthy, but don't set your hope on the uncertainty of your wealth. Now listen, 99% of us in this room don't fall into the camp of multimillionaire, right? Unless I just need to get a big raise. I don't, I don't know how your guys are living, but most of us don't fall into that camp. The camp we fall into is kind of middle-class America. Now here's where we fall short. It is not a 10 commandment to be rich or to not be rich. It is breaking a 10 commandment when we envy and covet other people's wealth. That is a sin. Exodus chapter 20, that's where it says it. So when we as kind of normal people look at people that have more than us and we say, they need to give that to us, that should be mine. When we become envious and jealous of that, we are breaking a 10 commandment and we are sinning. And we need to be very, very careful. God gives to each what God wants to give to each person, okay? And how we handle whatever amount of wealth we have is a metric of our heart. I don't know if you guys know this, but everything you have ultimately belongs to the Lord. All your money, your family, your marriage, your home, this church, Everything we have is because God has allowed us to have it. Well, Corey, I worked hard for that money. Well, God made your legs, right? <laughs> so ultimately, it goes right back to him. Here's the other side of this. I don't know if you guys know this. In the grand scheme of the world, every single one of you in this room lives better than about 75% of the rest of the world. We're on the upper echelon of wealth. I'm talking every single one of us in this room. When you look at the entire globe, we're all doing pretty well. Now what you do or what I do with that wealth determines the state of my heart. The Bible says that Christians are to live open-handed with their wealth. Not because the government mandates us, not because I get up here and guilt you into it, but because the Christian should care about the human condition. The fact that there are children starving, I'm not talking about on the other side of the world, we have Endure Athletics here in town, right, that helps with kids that are homeless. The reason why most of the public schools in our town give free breakfast and lunch all year round, even in the summers, because kids don't have enough to eat. When we understand that these things are happening, and if it is a financial thing that prohibits more children from being fed, there's a problem with the church, right? Listen, I'll put it on me. I spend $90 a month on coffee just for myself, right? When you say it, it sounds nuts, right? $1,000 a year. I'm a very ritualistic OCD type person. Every day I go eat at one of like four restaurants. I drive through the old Fort Starbucks. I get a grande iced coffee with one sweet and low and light cream. It costs $3.02. I do it every single day, every day, $90 a month. When I step back and I look at the fact that I spend $90 a month on this coffee, if I am not giving to the advancement of the gospel in my city, and I can spend $1,000 a year on coffee, something's wrong with my heart. If I cannot help children that aren't eating any food while I drink a $3 cup of coffee, something is wrong with my heart. Listen, 
If you have more invested in your cell phone than you have invested in this church or whatever church you go to, you need to check your heart. Well, Corey, I don't have the money to give to the church. You got a cable bill though, don't you? It's not that you don't have the money. It's that you just don't care as much about this and the advancement of the gospel and the human condition as you do about your own personal comforts. Corey, that's a jerk thing to say. Read Malachi chapter three for homework tonight. If you wanna wonder why God doesn't do more with you and with your family and with everything else, until you can learn to let go of some things, God can't use you. It says it in Malachi, Malachi chapter three, clear as crystal. So some of you need to check your hearts. Listen, I don't know who gives at this church. I don't wanna know who gives at this church. But we're gonna plant our third church, hopefully in the next couple of months. That doesn't just happen with like, you know, Dave Ashworth's good looks, right? Hey, I'm gonna rent this building. <laughs> it takes money to advance the gospel, to feed the poor, to help the homeless, to help churches in New England, to help orphanages in Africa. I'll move on, I'll move on. So it says that we're not just to have money, right, if people have money, but we're to be rich in good works. Timothy is instructed to teach the wealthy and, and all of us. Don't just have things, but be known for what you do and be willing to share those things. And when we do this, we gain something better than the material possessions in this life. Look at this investment right here. He says if we will be open-handed with what God has entrusted us with in this life, we build up a foundation in the next life and we start to, to, to learn what living truly is. When we live open-handed and we learn to bless other people, when we make a sacrifice here so we can help other people, we start to understand what it truly means to live, okay? Paul says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. His last sentence, he says, grace be with you all, grace be with you be with you all. What Paul is doing is he's looking at a young man. He's writing this, right? But he's looking at this young man saying, Timothy, this is no joke, man. This is serious. Paul ends this letter by this very emphatic, take this seriously, guard this, protect this. This has been entrusted to you by God. Listen, all of you in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, regardless of your lot in life, whether you be a high school student or you be the CEO of a Fortune 500 corporation, whatever your lot in life is, all Christians have been given the Holy Spirit. If you call yourself a Christian, if you have called on his name, Ephesians 1.13, if you have accepted his name as, as, as your savior, you have the Holy Spirit that seals you. All of us have been given that. And every single one of you in this room that calls yourself a Christian, we have been commissioned by Jesus Christ to go out into the darkness and bring the light into the darkness. Every single one of you in this room has a dark corner somewhere in your sphere of influence. Whether that be your school or your work or your neighborhood or your extended family or whatever the case may be, all of you in this room have been given a corner of this world that is dark and God expects you to bring the light into that darkness. And this is a large responsibility that quite frankly, I think a lot of us have taken for granted. I do it too, I do it too. 
I forget that every single conversation I have, that is an eternal soul that I am talking to. And so maybe I need to take a little bit more time. Maybe I need to pray for that person. Maybe I need to share with them how God has transformed me. I need to love them more. Buy them a cup of coffee. Go see a movie with them. Have them over to my house for dinner, whatever the case may be. This is a soul. And God has challenged me and called all of us to bring light into dark places. So how do we guard that? We've been given the truth. If you're a Christian here, you've been given the keys to eternal life. You've been given salvation. You've been given the knowledge through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit of God, how to have healthy marriages and how to have healthy families and relationships. You've been given this instruction. You've been given God's Spirit. How do we guard that? It's important. We guard it by being at church. Second time I've said it today. And if you don't like me, if you don't like this place, that's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It does a little bit, but it doesn't hurt my feelings that much. But find a place in town that you do like and go there. Read the Word of God. The only way to protect the truth is you must first know the truth. You have to read this book, man. Even if it's just, man, I sat down with three 14-year-olds last week. And those 14-year-olds read the Bible. They pray. You can do this, right? We can do this, but we have to be diligent. We have to be intentional and stay away from things that are evil, things that contradict the Bible, things that are empty speech. If all of your knowledge comes from Netflix documentaries, read a book. Read this book. Stay away from empty speech. Stay away from things that you've been deceived to be knowledge, but it's not knowledge. Listen, the only gift of the Holy Spirit, unless I'm wrong, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. The only gift of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says will always be given to you when you ask for it is wisdom. Every single person in this room that calls yourself a Christian, every time you pray, you need to pray that God gives you wisdom. Not only does the Bible say he will give you wisdom, he says he'll give it to you in abundance. Pray that God gives you the gift of wisdom. Pray that God gives you the gift of discernment so you can know what is right and wrong. So you can have a healthy compass inside of you to when you walk into a situation, you're like, eh, this doesn't feel right. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Pray for that discernment. Be cautious over who has influence over you. What you listen to, what you watch, it matters. Be careful who speaks into your life. Be careful. The reason why, and the reason why Paul ended this letter the way he did, is he said, Timothy, every single one of us can step away from our faith if we're not careful. If we don't take this seriously, we can depart from the faith, right? So he says, you need to take this seriously. You need to guard this, protect this, move towards what's good and stay away from what is bad. Because all of us, every single marriage in this room is susceptible to falling apart if we don't have God as the focus. Every single family in this room is susceptible to being torn apart if God is not the focus. Anyone who claims to have faith in this room all of us are susceptible to departing from that faith if we don't take this seriously. 
Guys, that's why how we live, character, is so monumentally important. We must intentionally, on purpose, move towards things that honor God and stay away from things that dishonor God. So like I said before, ask yourself, who is feeding your mind? Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew says what we take in through the eyes can contaminate our entire soul. Jesus said that. So what you're looking at matters. What you're listening to matters. What you're reading matters. And do you believe that not only do those things matter, do you believe that we're fighting a fight? There's a malicious force at work against us. There is evil working against us. So we must fight a good fight. We must train. We must do it intentionally. We must do it on purpose. Because we're fighting a fight. We have a very worthy adversary against us. He's a good fighter, right? He's smart. He's crafty. He's a good deceiver. He's a good liar. He's been fighting for a long time. We need to fight a good fight. We must also remember that the world needs you. Jesus looked at his followers on the Sermon on the Mount and he probably blew their minds. He said, you're the light of the world. <gasps> Me? You're the light of the world. You're the salt, right? And when the world loses its saltiness, it loses its flavor. That's you. You're the light. You're a city on a hill, right? That's what he called us. Of course it's by his grace. Of course it's by his spirit. But we are the ones to take Christ out into a dark world. Do you know where the word Christian came from? It was first spoken in a city called Antioch. Not that Antioch, another Antioch. And the word Christian was a derogatory term. Do you know what it meant? Little Christs. And so what people would do in Antioch is they'd look at the followers of Jesus and they'd say, look at those little Christs, those little Christians. Well, the Christians heard this and they're like, that's kind of what we're trying to do, right? Be little Jesuses. Not that we're little demigods, but we are the conduits. We are the ambassadors. We are Jesus on earth right now. Do you understand how big of a deal that is? That we are called to be the light. And all of us who claim to be followers of Christ are called to communicate Jesus Christ in what we do and what we say. Well, Corey, I just want to love on people. I don't want to shove them down their throat. You are not loving on people if you don't share with them the keys of the kingdom. You are not loving on people if you don't tell people why your marriage is strong, why you're saved, why you overcame addiction and depression and fear. You're not loving on people if you don't communicate Christ to them. We can be the friendliest people in the world, but if we never share Christ, there are souls in the balance. Get over yourself. The reason why so many of you just want to love on people and not tell people about Christ is quite frankly, you're more concerned about how people feel about you. You are not doing society any favors by holding the keys to salvation secret. It's not doing anyone favors. People are drowning around you. Marriages are falling apart in the cubicles next to you. Kids are suicidal in the desk next to you. People are drowning in depression and addiction and fear all around you. And we have been given the keys. 
We've been given the knowledge and the information that sets people free. Yes, we need to be nice. Yes, we need to build a reputation. Yes, we need to build friendships and relationships. But somewhere down the line, the truth of the cross has to come out. It has to come out. It is too severe. This is heaven and hell. This is damnation or eternal life. The last part is this, is you're gonna screw up. You're gonna make a mistake. And let me tell you, this life can be absolutely brutal. And if you haven't experienced that yet, just give it time, you will. None of us get out of this life without scars. None of us, it's brutal. We're imperfect, we're fighting an enemy, and because of that, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to come up short. But what that means, and the reason why Paul ended this letter with grace, he knew that Timothy was gonna mess up. He knew that the church would not always be on their A game. He knew that. So Paul says, Timothy, grace. Fall back on grace, man. Grace be with you. If you make a mistake, don't wallow in it. Don't self-loathe in it. Don't try to put your, your, your fractured relationship with your father on your heavenly father. Know that God loves you. Know that God wants to forgive you. Know that God sent his only son to the cross to die so we can be saved by his grace. That his grace can empower us. It can help us. It can give us guidance. He can fill us up with his Holy Spirit and we can be what we need to be. Not because we're good, but because God is good. Listen, I purposely ended about five minutes early, and, and, and this is hard for me to do, but I'm gonna do it anyways. Something has really bothered me lately about this church, and I love this church. I love you guys so much. And I know with a big church, there's gonna be big church problems sometimes. Every service for 10 years, for a decade, we have communion. Communion is the wine and the bread that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The only way we can have grace upon grace, as Paul says it, is because God gave his only son to die even while we were still sinners. Now here's what bothers me. Our church, about 40% of the adults in this room, 40% because we watch and we keep track, less than half of our church engages in communion. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, you don't need to take communion. But if you're in this room and you skip out on communion because it saves you 15 minutes in the parking lot, Jesus Christ hung on a piece of wood for nine hours for you, nine hours. And I know you got important things to do today. Nothing you will do today Nothing you will do today is more important than taking 10 or 15 minutes and remembering the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. Nothing you will do. No, 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 hold, hold on, hold on. I love you, I love you, I love you and I care about your soul, I care about your family. And the problem is bigger than you not taking the Welches and the matzo bread, it's bigger than that. The problem is, is that a lot of us have forgotten how serious this is. I said about a month ago, what's on the line? Everything's on the line. 
Your marriage is on the line. Your kids are on the line. Your eternal soul is on the line. And what that bread and what that wine does is it makes us sit back for a moment and think and ponder that even when we were addicted, even when we were in infidelity, even when we were addicted to porn, even when we were doing drugs, even when we were lying, even when we were self-centered, Jesus climbed on a cross. He gave up his divinity to be beaten and abused and to shed his blood so it would open up a gate that at any time when we make a mistake, we just say, Father, forgive me. And he says, it's done. I love you. That blood on the cross covers that. Guys, I think some of us need to get it deep in our head. I know there's gonna be traffic. I know there's a lot of you. I know you got stuff to do. Nothing you do today will be more important than having a quick conversation with the Lord. Well, Corey, I'm not living right. Well, here's the beauty of that. You can ask Jesus Christ to forgive you right here and you are more than welcome to engage in communion and remember that Christ has done this for us. So there's 16 stations in this room, I think. It may take you a minute. It may be a little inconvenient. You might have to talk to some people in this room. You might have to slow down a little bit, and that may be good for you too. Greg will be up here to my right, your left. If you are new to this place and you're not a believer, or maybe you just have questions, Greg would love to talk to you. There'll be men and women up here at the front that would love to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. This is serious, guys. This is very, 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 very serious. Please, please take some time to make sure that you're square with your creator, right? That your heart's in the right place. Sit and take a breather for a minute, right? Really taste that wine and taste and remember that that represents blood that was shed for us. Take that wafer and really remember, this is God Almighty made into man, flesh, who was beaten and abused and spat upon because he loves me. Think about it. Think about it. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, Lord, I love this church, God. I can't say it enough. I love, 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 love the men and women and families, children, God, in this, in this place. Lord, I love them. God, and if I love them, I can't imagine how much you love them. You know every hair on our head, God. You know every mistake we've ever made and will ever make. And you still died on the cross for us, Lord. Please let us remember how big of a deal this is. God, if there's anyone in this room that's maybe searching or they're new or they're curious, Lord, please let them come up and talk to Greg. If anyone needs prayer, Lord, please let them bind with a brother or sister and agree and pray for whatever need they have. Father, Lord, let us slow down. Let us put our priorities in order. Let us remember that the God of the universe humbled himself to be a servant for us, God. Lord, I pray that you break our hearts, Father. I love you so much. Bless this church, God, and keep them safe till we meet again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.